0: Today I want to talk to you about knowing. There was a TV show on the ABC. I think it finished in two thousand and nine, and it was called the Einstein Factor. Um, And I watched it a few times. And the reason I really liked this show was because a contestant would come on, and they would they could pick the topic that they wanted to talk they wanted questioned on. So sometimes it would be you know the Australian cricket team in the seventies. And someone else would come and say, I want to talk about this particular cookbook. And someone else would come on and want to talk about a TV series. And so the people could talk about whatever they thought was their special interest topic. And then the next round was general knowledge. And then they put the scores together and then whoever had the most won. But I always thought, ah, what would be my special topic? What would be the topic that I think I know the most about? And it changes, of course, at the moment my special topic would be Christian romance novels written by Karen Kingsby. I know that's probably made some of you tune off and lower your um, respect of me, but that's something that I like to read. I love to read. Um, And so I bought the series that I would choose if I was on the Einstein Factor. Okay, the problem is Karen Kingsby is very annoying. Do not start reading her unless you want to get a bit annoyed by her, because this is what she does, okay? So, this is the very first book um, in a particular series called Redemption. The problem is, there is one, two, three, four, five books in this series, and you think, five books? That's fine. I can do five books. But then, at the end of the fifth book, something happens that brings you to another... She calls it a new series, but it really is just a continuation of the other one. Which brings you to this is the first one in that series. And so there's one, two, one, two, three, four, five more in that one. So at the moment, up to ten books. But then, at the end of this, these five books, something happens that makes you want to read the beginning of this series. So, this was the first book I actually got. And I read it, and as I started reading it, I'm thinking I'm missing something here. I'm reading the first chapter, and I'm meant to know these people, but I don't. So, I realised this wasn't a standalone series. I had to go back and read the other 10 before I got to this one. And then, do you know how many's in here? One, two, three, four. Oh, there's only four in that one. It's up to 14. So, you know, that's a pretty big commitment. And then, when you've got to that point, you can't really stop. You've committed yourself to fourteen books. That's really where she should have stopped, I think. But of course, me being gullible, I kept on buying the books and reading them all. So then there's another one, two, three, four. Other ones of them went up to eighteen, and then it goes into another series of one, two, three, four. It's up to twenty-two, and then this is the one that ties it all together. Coming home, so she goes back to the beginning and brings all the characters in and tells you what's happening to them. But you don't know—you're not—but you not but you do not know to read this one until you've read all the rest of them. And that's true. So just borrow this one of me. Um, but the thing is, I even though I've read 23 books and probably read some of them more than once, but some of them just once, I would remember really well what's in these books. I would be able to tell you the characters' names. I'd be able to tell you what happened. I actually both um, lent these books to Cheryl and she started reading them and enjoyed them. Cheryl Wilson. She started reading them and enjoyed them but then like me went, she's just dragging it on. This is just going too far. I think I'm going to stop. And I said to her, yeah, you stop and if you want to know what happens, come and have coffee with me. I why well, I don't drink coffee but come and have a drink with me and I can tell you the rest of the story. She's like, "Yep, yeah, I might do that but... Who has time to do that? So just forget about them because they're just fictional characters. But what would be your topic of interest? Chris, I know you're a knowledgeable guy. What would be your topic of interest? What would you think? What would you, you, you want to be qu- quizzed on? Star Trek and Doctor Who. Oh, they are two different people, yeah? Oh, good. I'm not... I don't really... Okay, who else wants to give me their topic, what what topic would they want to be quizzed on? Cars. Any kind of cars? Okay, I can't be the quiz master because I know nothing about V8 cars. Anybody else want to tell me what their topic would be? No? I'm sure we all have things that we know um, and things that we're really passionate about and stuff that we know a lot about. But today I actually want to talk about knowing something in particular. And this is something that I'm sure you've all heard of before. I'm sure this is nothing new, but I feel like it's really good, especially near the beginning of the of the year, to remind ourselves that we need to be people who are knowing, knowing God's word. As I said, the fact that we need to know God's word, you're all going, yes, that's fine, good, let's move on. Cool, I can sit down and we'll just stop. I won't, but I could. Um, the, thing, the first time that I realised that I didn't know God's word as much as I thought I did had to do with this. This is the nativity scene. That's my mum and dad's nativity scene. I think it is a pretty great nativity scene. I love this nativity scene. So much so that I've told my mum and dad and my sister and my two brothers that when mum and dad can't put this nativity scene up anymore, it's going to me. I don't know if that's been agreed upon, I just think if I say it enough times, it might happen. And now you guys have all witnessed it, so if there's any disputes, I can just ask you and you can all say, yes, it's 10 years. must be. <laughs> um, but this nativity scene is an ongoing joke in my family because of the three wise men. When I was in year eight, it was the first time I think I actually read the Christmas story for myself. And I remember reading it And coming away and going to my mum and dad, the wise men were not there on the night that Jesus was born. And I couldn't believe that I'd missed that. I'd heard the Christmas story my whole life, every single Christmas, and I did not realise that the three, well, the wise men, who knows if there was even three of them, another new, new revelation, but the wise men actually probably came anywhere to like two years later. They were in a house. But I didn't know this. And I was thinking, wow, how many other things do I think I know about the Bible, but I actually don't? And there's been many other times in my life where that's been the case. Where I think I know something, and then I read it for myself, and I'm like, oh, that's the way it really is. But this was the first time when it came to the Christmas story. I want to look at a Psalm 119. But if those of you who know a Psalm 119, take a deep breath. We're only looking at eight verses. Psalm 119 is the biggest um, chapter in the Bible. So we're just going to look at um, Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. And this is what it says. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your degrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that have come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your degrees. I do not neglect your word. I want us just to take um, these eight verses, verse by verse, and just have a look at them and just be reminded this is the attitude that we should really have when it comes to the Word of God. So the first one. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, for those of us who do not consider ourselves young, really, you could put this verse and say, how can a person live a life that's pleasing to God? That's really how you could look at this verse. And it's a really simple answer. By living according to your Word. Really straightforward. You want to live a life that's pleasing to God? follow his word but the psalmist then goes on and talks about how we can actually live according to his word in verse 10 it says i seek you with all my heart i really hate those little words like all i don't like those little words like all because that's where i get tripped up i seek you I can do that but with all my heart that's when we really need to stop and say, Am I really seeking God in, with all that I have? Or am I getting distracted? Am I doing it half heartedly? Am I only doing it when I need to? We're really seeking God with all our heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Now, if you look in the dictionary, stray actually means to move away aimlessly from the right course. So the psalmist here is not saying, I'm going to forget about your word. I'm going to deliberately decide I don't want to follow it. He's saying, please, I don't want to just aimlessly be walking through life and then find my way over here and go, "Oh, I'm going to be back here. Stray gives us the understanding that we want to make sure that we're not just aimlessly going somewhere and we walk away from his commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. The more we know the word of God, the more we have the ability not to fall into temptation. The more we have the ability to know when we're straying and be corrected the more the Holy Spirit can bring to mind, not just when we're we- reading God's Word, but when we're dropping the kids off at school, when we're at our office, when we're doing the shopping, wherever we are, the more that God's Word is in us, the more um, it can be brought to mind. Now, there's a great ch- um, story in the Bible that shows the importance of knowing God's Word. And it actually is a story that happened to Jesus. And it's Luke 4, 1 to 13. This is what happened. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, always a good start, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, let this stone uh, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and sh- showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and then he said to him and i will give you their i will give you all their authority and splendor it's been given to me and i will give it and i can give it to anyone i want to if you worship me it will be yours jesus answered it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only the devil led jesus to jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the ta- temple If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. In this little passage we see how Jesus conquered the temptations of the devil. And what did he use every time? He used the Word of God. He used what he knew about the Word of God. So Satan tweaked to this and then Satan used the Word of God. Satan goes, hey, it's written, no stone will harm you because you're the son of God. Um, And what we need to make sure when we know the Word of God is that we actually use it in its proper context because that's not what Satan was actually doing. And then the devil, this is a really scary verse if you think about it. When the devil had finished all his, all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. The devil was looking for another opportunity to tempt Jesus, the Son of God. He's also looking for an opportune time to tempt us. And if we have the Word of God in our minds, in our hearts, if it's hidden, if we know it, then we can use that To deflect all the things that the devil puts against us. We don't need to say, oh, I think this. We can say the word of God says this. And because the word of God says it, we know it's true. Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how powerful the word of God is. And when we know it, when we use it, then we become much more stable in the faith that we have. We become much more ready to defend ourselves against the attacks of the devil. So when Satan comes and says, you're not good, you're hopeless, you can't do anything, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's not oh no, I don't think I'm that bad. I think I'm pretty good. We don't need to worry about what we think. We can use what God thinks against the devil and he has no answer to it because it's truth. And when we know the truth and we use the truth, then we can walk in the freedom that God has for us because we're actually using the truth of God's word, not just it sounds good to me or what our thinking is. Let's go back to Psalm 119. It continues on in verse 12. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Verse 14. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. I rejoice in following your statutes. I meditate on your precepts. I delight in your decrees. Sometimes when it comes to even knowing the word of God, let alone following the Lord of God, we don't actually delight in doing it. We do it because we probably should. We do it because we know that it's a good idea and so we try our best. But in our Activate group this past year, we actually studied First John. And there was this interesting verse that came up in First John that all of us went, oh, gee, that's a bit weird, and this is what it says. And I've written 4a is because verse 4 continues on, but I just thought I'd stop it there and give you the context instead of the next bit, which I don't really need to use, if that makes sense. But anyhow. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Pretty simple, if we love God keeping His commands, knowing His commands so we can keep them, is really important to show our love for Him. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. So we in our group read this and went, mm, I sometimes think His commands are burdensome. I sometimes feel like, oh, I've got to just keep on going. Oh no, I've done made a mistake again. Oh, I've Mark this up again. But this verse actually tells us that it shouldn't be burdensome. There's another verse in the Bible that says that God's yoke, his burden is light and his yoke is easy. So if we don't feel that way, if we don't feel like we can rejoice in following his statutes and delight in all his degrees, then we really need to ask God to show us the freedom that are in his decrees and not The burden that we sometimes think them to be. We think of them as rules and not of a much better way of living. So his decrees are not meant to be burdensome. There's this guy called Ezra. He's in the Old Testament and he's my favourite person in the Old Testament. When I was studying at Youth Dimension, um, we had to study the whole book of Ezra. And you start reading Ezra and it's just not very interesting. It's all about people coming and going and this happening. And it just is a list of names, really, with a tiny bit of a story. And we're thinking, a whole subject on studying this book. This is not going to be too much fun. And so we said to the guy who was teaching us, just tell us it gets better. Tell us that this book gets better and we'll hang on. goes, wait to chapter 7. Because chapter 7, or chapter 6 actually, chapter 6 is when Ezra comes into the scene. And Ezra was a priest. He was a person who went back to Jerusalem after the people had been um, taken away, after the Israelites had been taken away um, to Persia, and they got back to Ezra, and he was one of the priests that went. And this verse is the verse, so if there's any verse that I'd love to put in my tombstone, this would be it. Because Ezra had devoted himself to the study and absolvance of the law of the Lord and teaching its degrees and law in Israel. I think this sums up so much what God requires of us as Christians. And I love the order too. That Ezra devoted himself. It wasn't just a passing fed. It wasn't just something he did when it was good enough for him. He devoted himself to the study of the Word of God. If we do not know what the Word of God says, how are we going to know what Jesus wants us to do? And even if all we do is just listen to other people tell us what the Word of God says, there's nothing like reading the Word of God for yourself and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you. There's nothing better than that. So he studied the Word of God. But he didn't just stop there, because head knowledge is pointless. If all you have is head knowledge, good on you. I know all about these books. I don't know what good it does me. But really, I can tell you about them. I don't think it would make much difference to your life if you know about them. They're a good read, they're nice, but really, makes no difference. If I just know about God, if all I know is my head, or the Bible tells us that, good, even the devil knows that. Like, even the devil knows who God is. the part, The next part is actually observing the law. Putting into practice what we know. That's where the rubber hits the road. If you think of one of my favourite parables... Is the wise and foolish builder, and the wise and foolish builder starts with this thing that says, the wise man is like the one who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. What actually says, the one who puts it into practice, who hears the word of God and puts it into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on rock. And so the one that builds his house in sand is the one who hears the word of God, but does not put it into practice. So knowing without doing. Really, really you're just wasting your time just knowing stuff, just for the sake of it. Um, so we want to study, we want to absorb the, the Lord of the Lord and then teaching its degrees and law in Israel. The way I look at that is we want to pass it on. If we just know the word of God and do what it says, well, we should be passing it on to the people. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And Ezra did all three. He studied the word of God. He lived it. And then he taught it to other people. He let other people know the greatness and goodness that can be found in God. That, to me, is a great summary of what, in a small way, the Christian life should be about. Knowing God's word, doing what it says, passing it on to others. There's another psalm. If you keep on, as I said, Psalm 119 is a very long psalm. If you get to all the way to 105, There's this other verse that talks about the Word of God. There's a number of verses in Psalm 119 that talk about God's Word. Um, But this one is, Your Word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. What a great illustration of what the Word of God can do. It can show me right now what I should be doing, and it can also light the path that I should be following. So it does both. It does the immediate and it does the future. Um, And it is like a light. Sometimes we don't see it all. Sometimes all we know is the little bit of the light shining on. But we can do what the light is showing us. And then, like any light, as you walk and do what the light's showing you, more light is shown and more light is shown. So the thing is, because the Bible is a pretty big book, we can sometimes go, it's just too big. It's just too much. Where do I start? What do I do? And there's so much in it. Maybe it's just easier just to put it back and just know it's there, then start it and get stuck. But if I can read 23 Karen Kingsby books and just keep on going because you just keep on going, just start. Just pick up the Bible, open it up and read something. And then close it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how you can put that into practice. And then the next day, pick it up, read it again, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it, shut it, go again. It's not a case that God expects us to read it from beginning to end in a certain amount of time and if we do, we get to heaven and if we don't, then bad luck. That's not what it's about. We get to heaven because we know Jesus, we get to heaven because of his blood, he's dying on the cross. But by knowing God's word, we can live a life that's pleasing to God. And not just live a life that's pleasing to God, but the Bible also tells us that we can have life in abundance. That's the kind of life that we want to live. Not one that's burdensome, not one that we're doing it because we have to, but because the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is alive, it makes a difference in our lives, it actually adds to our lives. Reading God's word shouldn't be something that we do because we think we should we should do it because it is life it is life-giving it is the way that we can know our heavenly father going back to the last three verses i rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches i meditate on your precepts and consider your ways i delight in your degrees i do not neglect your word I want us just to look at these three verses for a minute, and I want you just to have a think to yourself, which of these three verses do I need the Holy Spirit to help me with? Is it the fact that I need to follow what I know God's Word saying a bit more? Or it might be that you follow it, but you do it gradually and you need the rejoicing part of the verse. It may be that you need to meditate on God's word. You need to actually look into it. You need to spend some time knowing it and studying it. Maybe it's the fact that you really have just neglected God's word. It's something that you yourself haven't really looked in for yourself for very long, that you just rely on what other people tell you to grow in your faith. To really know the living God, we need to read his word. And we need to read it for ourselves and not just rely on other people. Other people are great for giving us insight and great for giving us um, help in understanding it. But the Word of God is living and active in your life. And the Holy Spirit is there to reveal what God wants to say to you, as well as to others. So why don't we just spend a a few minutes, So why don't we just um, pick one of those three verses and ask God to help you to either rejoice in following his statutes or to help you to meditate on his precepts or help you to not neglect his word, but to delight in it. Why don't we do that for a second? God, we want to be a church that rejoices in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. We want to be a people that meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. We want to be a church that delights in your degrees and do not neglect your word. But God, we don't just want to be a church that does that. We want to be individuals that do that, God. We want to be people that love your word because it is life. We want to be people, God, who do study your word, that do know it, that do put it into practice and do pass it on to others, God. And I pray that we will grow in that, God. We'll grow in our understanding of what your word says. We'll grow in living a life that's pleasing to you. And that we'll grow in passing it on to others, God, because it is such an amazing thing, God. Amen. I just wanted to make the point about studying for a second. Sometimes when people hear the word study, they think that means they've got to go to Bible college and they've got to have all this intellectual knowledge. The Word of God is the Word of God. And anybody can pick it up and read it and pass it on to others. It doesn't require a degree. It doesn't require any insight apart from the Holy Spirit speaking to you. My kids show me things in the Bible that I haven't noticed before. So each one of us, regardless of how intellectual we think we are, can read God's word, put it into practice and pass it on to others. And even those people who are really intellectual, they can learn from those who may not have all the degrees. That's what the word of God does. It is not a word that is for only those who are have a certain level of intelligence. It's for those who simply pick up the word of God, read it, put it into practice, and then pass what they've learned onto others. So I want to encourage each one of you to be people who know the Word of God, to put it into practice, and to pass it on to others.